Let's again extend a very warm welcome to everyone this evening and uh, we pray that the Lord will indeed bless our worship and also a warm welcome to any who may be visiting with us. It's always nice to have visitors. And again, we also welcome those who join with us online. Uh, you have the intimation bulletin. It's quite short this, uh, for this week, so just take your time uh, reading through it. <clears throat> uh, it's uh, because Mr. McKeever uh, uh, has lost his voice, and I'm here tonight. The, as you can see, obviously, uh, the English service details that are on the <clears throat> bulletin uh, are different. So we're going to begin singing in Psalm 122, Psalm 122, and we're going to sing, uh, it's on page 416, the whole psalm. Psalm 122, I joyed when to the house of God go up, they said to me, Jerusalem within thy gates our feet shall standing be. Jerusalem as a city is compactly built together, and to that place the tribes go up, the tribes of God go thither. To Israel's testimony there, to God's name, thanks to pay, for thrones of judgment, even the thrones of David's house there stay. Pray that Jerusalem may have peace and felicity. Let them that love thee and thy peace have still prosperity. Therefore I wish that peace may still within thy walls remain, and ever may thy palaces prosperity retain. Now for my friends and brethren's sakes, peace be in thee, I'll say. And for the house of God, our Lord, I'll seek thy good always. Psalm 122, the whole psalm, I joyed went to the house of God.
us bow in prayer. O Lord, as we seek to call upon your name, we have begun our worship singing praise to you, and we pray that the joy of our heart may indeed be such that it propels us forward day by day. The psalmist was able to say, I joyed when to the house of God uh, go up, they said to me. We pray that there might be something of that joy in our own heart as we come to your house, that we don't simply come out of a way of duty, although there is an element of duty in it, and uh, that we don't simply come in order that we may tick a box, but that we might come with a desire to meet with you, because we know that your presence is promised where your people gather together, even if the numbers are as few as two or three. You're there. And so we pray tonight with the promise of your presence that you will show yourself to us as we come under your word and that we will hear your voice in the stillness, in the quietness of our own heart. O Lord, our God, we give thanks that we are able to worship you. And we pray that we might have a spirit of worship and that we might be able to rejoice in you. It's a wonderful privilege that we have and that you have shown us the way to go, because there are so many do not have your word, so many do not know what you are requiring, so many do not know of you in order to praise you. We do not worship the unknown God, as Paul found a statue to in, in the Acts of the Apostles, but we worship the God that has been revealed to us in your word, and we pray that we might come to an ever greater knowledge of you through the truth. We pray that you will open our hearts so that we will see you, open our minds to understand. We pray for a perception to delve into the scripture so that it may become sweeter to us, more precious to us, and that you will build us up in the faith, that you will strengthen us in the, in the depth of our being. Lord, we live at a time where there is so much opposition uh, to the, <clears throat> the Christian faith. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will indeed strengthen your people and uh, that you will encourage them as they go forward. Uh, because we know that often the personal inward battles can be, can be difficult. But we pray that your grace will prove to be sufficient every day and your strength made perfect in our weakness. O Lord, our God, we pray to equip us for the battle. We give thanks that you've given to us the sword and the shield. You've given to us the helmet. You've given to us all the different aspects of the armor. And we pray that we may put, it, put this on and keep this on and help us as we go forward day by day. We pray for any in here maybe who don't yet know you. They know about you, but they haven't come into that personal knowledge where they're able to say, my Lord and my God. We pray, Lord, that those things which might be holding them back, that these things might be removed. We pray, pray, Lord, that you will open people's eyes and people's hearts to see and to believe, because we know that we need you to do this. We have to confess, Lord, for how often we stood, as it were, at a gate where we couldn't see a way in and we couldn't see a way over until all of a sudden things or maybe it was gradually 
things became clear and we understood and we were enabled to embrace Jesus. And we pray that that might be true for any who tonight still don't know you. We pray, Lord, that you will bless everybody gathered here and all who are worshiping with us online. We pray, Lord, that you will bless every home and every family. And we pray for where there is grief and sorrow and sadness, that you will bring healing into the heart. And we know that we live at a time where, which every day brings its own trials, its own difficulties. And we know that death is never far away. And so we pray for every broken heart and every heavy heart and ask, Lord, that you will raise up. Lord, we pray in particular for the McLeod family in Plasterfield, but we pray also for all who hurt at this time. Pray for those who are ill, those who are sick in body and mind. We ask, Lord, that you will help them. We ask, Lord, that you will lift up those who feel cast down, that you will give a a balance of mind to those who are filled maybe with anxieties, those who are struggling in life. And there are so many things which cause us to struggle. Lord, we pray that you will give us a settled peace, that you will give that freedom from anxiety. Help us to cast out burden upon the Lord, knowing that you will sustain us. Pray for those who are ill of body, We pray for healing for those, Lord, who may be going through difficult times in hospital, in homes, in their own home, in the hospice, in all the different places, Lord, we commit them to your care. We ask, Lord, for all those who work for the NHS and we realize often the great pressures that they're under. We ask, Lord, that you will help them and equip them in work. There is pressure in every work and we ask, Lord, that you will be be with, with all and each, each and every one of us. Lord, we live in difficult times. There are so many financial challenges and financial restraints. We ask, Lord, that you will help those who are struggling most. We pray, Lord, that you will help this world that we're part of. As uh, <clears throat> the pandemic is still uh, creating disruption uh, in our land, and the war in Ukraine, Lord, we're so aware of the horrors that are taking place there and the global impact that comes from that. And uh, Lord, we are aware of rising costs at every front. And there's so much uncertainty and so much that we just don't know. But we give thanks, Lord, that you're in control, that you rule over all. And we pray that you will display your power, that you will show your authority, that you will Make clear that you are God of heaven and earth. Bless us as a nation. Watch over us, we pray. Bless those who have the rule over us in Westminster and Holyrood and locally here in the council. Grant wisdom from above. Lord, leave us not to ourselves because our own wisdom will bring us uh, into foolishness. We pray that it might be the wisdom of God that will guide. We pray to bless, Lord, the work of the gospel throughout this world. We pray for missionaries tonight who are discouraged in faraway lands, maybe suffering with homesickness, with language difficulties, facing a culture that is foreign to them, and uh, that there is uh, just within their own heart this uh, longing for uh, just a touch of the, the homeland. Lord, we pray to encourage them and make them persuade them that nothing that they do for you is in vain. 
Again, we remember Muriel, and we ask to be with her and bless her. Lord, guide us then as we wait upon you. We pray your blessing upon Mr. McKeever. We ask, Lord, that you will restore him to full health and strength soon. And uh, we pray for Cal Murdo as he's away at this time and ask that you will bless him. We give thanks, Lord, for bringing him here and Joanne and the family. We ask that they will settle in quickly and that they will know that your hand is upon them for good. Remember the congregation of North Eust. We pray for them and pray that you will indeed guide them in the right direction and provide a pastor for them. We, we know, Lord, that you are the Lord who leads your people and leads in the right way, and so we commit them to your care. Bless us and we pray. Bless you and murder us, he leads the praise, cleansing us from our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to sing again uh, from Psalm 85, this time in Sing Psalms, page 113. The tune is Converse, Psalm 85, on page 113. We're going to sing from verse 4. In fact, we'll sing, <coughs> excuse me, I had put 4 to 9, but Ian, if it's okay, we'll sing to the end of the psalm. Uh, psalm 85, <coughs> from verse 4 to the end. Uh, it's page 113. God, our Savior, now restore us. <coughs> from us, turn away your rage. <coughs> Will your anger burn against us? Will it last from age to age? Will you not again revive us, that we may rejoice in you? Show us, Lord, your covenant mercy, your salvation grant anew. <clears throat> I will hear what God the Lord says. To his saints he offers peace. But his people must not wander and return to foolishness. Surely for all those who fear him, his salvation is at hand so that once again his glory <clears throat> may be seen within, <clears throat> within our land. Psalm 85 from verse 4 to the end, the Tunis Converse. <clears throat>
Let's turn to read God's Word now in the Gospel of John, John's Gospel and the 20th chapter, John's Gospel, chapter 20. (coughs) John chapter 20. (coughs) We read from the beginning. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the, tomb had been take, that, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, It is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, 
was not with them when Jesus came. <clears throat> so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who, having not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his holy word. We're going to sing again from Sing Psalms on page 44. It's Psalm number 36. Psalm number 36 on page 44. The tune is Denfield. We sing verses 5 to 10. <clears throat> Psalm 36, 5 to 10. Your steadfast love is great, O Lord. It reaches heaven high. Your faithfulness is wonderful, extending to the sky. Your righteousness is very great, like mountains high and steep. Your justice is like ocean depths, both man and beast you keep. How precious is your steadfast love, what confidence it brings. Both high and low find shelter in the shadow of your wings. They feast within your house and drink from streams of your delight. For with you is the source of life. In your light we see light. To those who know you as their God, your steadfast love impart. Maintain your righteousness to those of pure and upright heart. Verses 5 to 10, Psalm 36, and the tune is Denfield. <clears throat>
Let's turn again to the portion of Scripture we read in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 20. And we'll read again at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <clears throat> you and I know that life is forever changing. Our circumstances are constantly changing, even in the course of a day or in the course of a year. And sometimes we can go from great joy, happiness, contentment, and we can be plunged into sorrow and into despair. Life is forever changing. It changes so quickly. And uh, one of the things that uh, we see in this chapter is the constant rapid change that is taking place. But central to the whole thing, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And Jesus here (coughs) is showing himself, revealing himself uh, to his disciples. Now, there's something lovely in the way that Jesus, first of all, reveals himself to Mary. You would have expected if we were the ones who were giving an account, if supposing, supposing this was simply a story, which obviously it's not, I'm quite sure that you would, we would say, or the way we would expect that Jesus would reveal himself to John before anybody else, because John, of course, was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Amongst Jesus had the 12 disciples. Of the 12, there was an inner three. And of the inner three, there was this one, John himself, termed himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But it wasn't to John. Or maybe you would have said it probably would be to Peter, because Peter was the one who had made the great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't said that, but my Father which is in heaven. So it was a great confession. But it wasn't to any of the immediate followers, the immediate 12, but it was to this woman, Mary, Mary Magdalene. And of course, uh, Mary, along with other women, had come early to the grave in order to anoint the body of Jesus. And uh, they had put their necks on the line because I've got to remember that his disciples, the likes of Peter, James, and John, They were nowhere to be found at this time. When we do come across them, they are in a room behind locked doors. Uh, But here are the ladies, and uh, it's it's obviously taken great courage. But they were propelled by this amazing love and zeal that they had for the Lord Jesus. So that they didn't count their own lives precious. They just wanted to do this honor in anointing the body of Jesus. But of course, his body wasn't needing anointing. His body didn't see decay. Psalm 16 tells us that, that the body of Jesus, that's the one difference between, although Jesus died physically as we die, there was was a difference with regard to his burial because his body actually didn't see decay. The moment that we die, our body begins to decay but not the body of the Lord Jesus. His body, we're told, saw no corruption. 
So that, there was this one difference. It's almost as if the moment that Jesus was buried, it was, I heard somebody saying it was like as if his, his very being was bursting in order to rise again. So they came in order to anoint. There was only one person actually, and we, we know that, one person who actually anointed uh, Jesus, and that was before he died, and that was Mary of Bethany. Because she came, remember how she anointed Jesus to, there were people who were very critical of her, and yet Jesus said, against the day of my burial has she done this. So Mary had a keen eye of faith. Mary, in fact, saw what Peter, James, and John didn't see. She had a spiritual perception about her. She understood things that even they didn't. And as we've said often enough before, Mary understood these things because every time we find Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus, the place of learning, the place of humility. She was waiting upon Jesus. And so she grasped and understood things that his immediate disciples, the ones he had chosen, hadn't. So Jesus reveals himself uh, to Mary, first of all, to Mary Magdalene. And of course, Mary Magdalene was one for, of whom he had cast out devils. And uh, she was, she, from that moment on, she couldn't do enough for the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> he was at the very center of her life, just with his passionate love and devotion to him and for him. And it's interesting when, when we read the account of when Mary comes and, <laughs> at the tomb, I think it's quite beautiful because we find that uh, an angel, or angels, there's an angel at the head and an angel at the foot of where Jesus was lying. And that's beautiful because just a wee while before Jesus is when he's put to death, he's also between two, but he's between two criminals. They tried to, the world tried to make him look as bad as possible. So Jesus is put to death between two criminals, but he's buried when we find the scene when the tomb is opened up, it's between two angels. And of course, he, he had risen by that time from the dead. So uh, <clears throat> there is Mary. We find her weeping, and she believes that the body of Jesus has been taken. And this, to her, was just the most, it, it was adding the final as it were, the word nail in the coffin, she had seen her beloved Savior die on the cross. The ladies had no doubt, had obviously watched where Jesus was buried, and now they had come to honor the body of Jesus, only to find that the body has, has gone. And so you can't even begin to imagine the pain, the heartache that's in Mary's heart. And then, of course, Jesus comes to her. And Jesus speaks just one word, calls her, her by her own name, Mary. And you know, that's what the Lord tells us. He says uh, in, John, uh, in John's gospel, when talking about the good shepherd, he, say, he tells us that he calls his own sheep by name. And my sheep hear my voice. You've heard that. All of you tonight who are Christians, you've heard the voice of Jesus through the word. He has spoken to you. And he has spoken to you directly, personally. You have heard his voice in the word. Here we have the written word. It is the voice, it is the living voice of the living Jesus. But Mary 
heard his voice, he just said, Mary. And that one word, it changed everything. There was an instant recognition. And Mary doesn't just say when he was asked, who are you looking for? She didn't say the body of Jesus. She said that she was looking for her Lord. He was still her Lord. And so Jesus shows her very clearly that he is risen from the dead. And he then tells her that she is to go and give the message to the disciples. And I'm quite sure that just as Peter and John ran to the grave, I could well imagine Mary running to tell the disciples of what had happened and of who she met. But it's wonderful, just that one moment changes everything. And that's what Jesus does. We mentioned that this morning of how our whole lives change the moment Jesus comes in to our life. Everything changes. And the darkness we may have been in, the despair we may have been in, the bleakness that we may have been in, the lack of understanding, it all changes. And everything begins to make sense. And as long as we can see there's sufficient light that is guiding us and showing us the way, we have this sense of peace and belonging and realizing this is right. Jesus changes everything. And so we find that uh, Mary goes to tell the disciples. But we find now, of course, when we meet the disciples in verse 19, the same day that Mary had met with Jesus, we find the disciples are behind locked doors and they're gathered in, in one room. And they're there for fear of the Jews. And we can understand that because they are the closest followers of Jesus. They have seen the absolute hatred that the Jews, the religious leaders, those in, in authority, that they had uh, expressed against Jesus, they couldn't do enough harm to him. They put him to death in the most barbaric, cruel, spiteful, hateful way possible. And they were saying, well, if they've done that to our Lord and our Master, what might they do to us? So you can understand that one level why they were there behind locked doors and they're there hiding. And if we try to put ourselves in the place in the shoes of the disciples, I would well imagine, well, if I was there, I could well imagine being exactly like them because you think about it. On Thursday, they had the most wonderful day and evening possible. There they are in the upper room. There they are in this company and fellowship with Jesus. And Jesus is opening up to them the most wonderful truths. They didn't understand a lot of it, but it was, it was intimate, it was personal. It was, they would be saying to themselves, this is really something special. There were moments where they were, they were upset because he had told them he was going from them, but they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't understand so they had gone from this time of great togetherness and intimacy and fellowship and their whole world was thrown absolutely upside down because Jesus was taken and he was arrested. And of course, we know that Jesus, he went to the spot when they left the upper room. Remember what it says? That Jesus went. He went to the garden and he went to the place that he knew, it tells us here, Judas knew the spot well. 
So Jesus went deliberately to the very place that he knew that Judas was most likely to figure he had gone and that he would bring the enemies of Christ there, which is exactly what happened, which shows us that Jesus, of course, was a, a willing savior. What he did, he did willingly. He wasn't reluctant, but he was passionate in what he was doing. He, he did this out of love to his father and out of love to us as well. And so here are the disciples and their, their whole world has collapsed. They're beaten, frightened, dispirited, anxious men. Their leader has been taken and they're all alone. They wouldn't know where to go. They wouldn't know where to turn. What do we do? Where do we go? We've given up. That's, that's why Peter, in the next chapter, he says, well, I'm going fishing. That's all Peter knew before Jesus came into his life. He'd been a fisherman. And he says, really, that I'm going back fishing. Because they, it seemed to be the end of things. That's, they were just saying, well, there's nothing else for it but to go back to what we, what we used to do. But life will never be the same. These three years were just, they were extraordinary. How can we ever go back to how things were? And then, of course, we're going to be living against under the, the, the opposition of those who hated Jesus Christ. So you can understand the way they were. And so as they're gathered there together, all of a sudden, Jesus appears right there in the midst. It's incredible. Uh, theologians are divided. Some think that he that although the doors were locked, uh, I think it's people like even like Calvin thinks that he opened the door and came in, though it was a locked door. Others like Augustine believe he just appeared. And uh, whether, whether he came through a locked door or whether he just, as it were, went through the very walls of the door, the thing is that the risen Savior, Jesus, is still in a physical body because the wounds were obvious, but there's a new order now. It's not bound by the, the laws of this world as such. And so he's able to appear and disappear. And he's able to, be, to show himself to be visible to certain people and invisible to others. That was the amazing thing. We believe that it was only those who believed in Jesus that he showed himself to. That he was appearing and, re and, appearing and reappearing over this, these, uh, like I said, were 40 days, but it was only his followers that saw him. Many saw him. We know that 500 saw him. So, when he, he just entered this room all of a sudden, and he comes with a great word, peace be unto you, peace to you. And it's wonderful that Jesus greets his disciples in this way, because that's how he left them. Remember when Jesus left, he says, you know what? Do you know what I'm going to leave you? I'm going to leave you my peace. My peace I give unto you. My peace I leave you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. See, Jesus' peace is different. The peace of Jesus is not dependent on circumstances or things that are happening or not happening. The peace of Jesus is himself. He is the prince of peace. He alone can bestow this peace. And tonight, if you don't have this peace, he's here tonight as a prince of peace. And he's saying to you, my peace can be your peace. Will you ask him? Will you ask Jesus to come into your heart, into your life? And if you know this, if you do, 
He'll hear you, and when he comes, he will bring his peace with you. That's what he does. My peace I give you. And so he says, the very first words he says uh, is, uh, peace be to you. And this word peace, where we have the shalom and all, all that, is more than simply just what we think of peace. It means well-being. It brings everything that Jesus wants. Jesus wants the very best for us, not a kind of, well, get, just get by. If we could understand right now all the resources that God has for us, if we could see and just kind of grasp in, in a way just the, the, the marvelous provision that God had, and he wants the very, very best for us. He wants us to be filled with himself, to come to a greater understanding of himself, to be just lost in himself, as it were. We, but so often we, we, don't, we don't see this. And so we've got to remember that peace is at the very center of the Christian message. When Jesus was born into this world, you remember how the angels sang glory to God and, and the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to all. Peace is at the very center of the Christian message. And you know, peace should be what characterizes. I think the two things that in many ways ought to characterize the Christian life is love and peace. Yes, there are many other aspects to it. But they are the two things that possibly are spoken about more. But Jesus said that love is a major characteristic of the disciples' life. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Love is powerful. Loving Christians are powerful witnesses. But also peace, as a prince of peace that Jesus is, to be a somebody, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of peace is a wonderful thing in this world. We should always pray that we come in peace and that we go in peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's great blessing attached to it. So it's something we ought to be, ought to be about as Christians, seeking to promote peace. It's not a, not a good thing for any Christian to be, to be divisive or somebody that is, is against peace. And so that Jesus uh, reveals himself to them here. <clears throat> now, there are so many different things that we could look at here, but I think one of the things that really touches you is when Jesus appears in front of them and he says, peace be to you. He doesn't, there's not one word of rebuke from Jesus to them. Because you've got to remember that the last time that Jesus was in the company of the disciples, what does it tell us? They all forsook him and fled. At the moment when he needed them most, what did they do? They legged it. Okay, Peter came back, but he followed Jesus at a distance. And when he was put to the test, in the presence of Christ, he denied Jesus with oaths and with curses. I don't know him. It means nothing to me. The only one that really followed on was John because he was below the cross and Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to John. But the others had forsaken him and fled. And I would love to know just what was going on in the hearts of the disciples at that moment when Jesus appeared. 
they might be seeing, particularly Peter. Because remember, the last thing Peter saw was the look of Jesus. Remember how it says, after he had denied Jesus the third time and the the cockerel was crowing, that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And it was a look that cut that cut Peter right to the very depth of his being. And it tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. He was a broken man. That's the last time he saw Jesus. And here all of a sudden is Jesus standing in front of him. I wonder how Peter felt. I wonder how some of the other disciples felt. And they might feel an element, yes, there's joy, but there might be shame. What's he going to say to us? Well, what did he say? He said, peace be to you. Not one word of rebuke. It's just like as Jesus is pleased to see them. And they were pleased to see him. Because it's probably one of the great understatements of the Bible. Because it tells us then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's funny how sometimes the Bible downplays situations. It wasn't just that they were glad. They were absolutely thrilled. Their whole being they were euphoric. This was, this was the most wonderful moment. So the disciples were glad. Why were they glad? Well, for obvious reasons. The first reason, the most obvious, is they thought they had lost him. And you put yourself in their shoes or try to. Can you imagine, just imagine for a moment that the Lord was to send from heaven a message to you which said, you know what, from tonight you're on your own. I've given up with you. You let me down so often. I've given you opportunity after opportunity to walk in the way you should. And so often you've disappointed me. You know, from tonight on, that's it. I'm walking away from you. Tonight you're all on your own. How would you feel? Well, if you're a true Christian, you would be absolutely bereft. You couldn't get worse news in the world than that. Because Christ means everything to you. Your whole life is tied up in them. There are sometimes as Christians we can lose our way a wee bit. But you know when push comes to shove, the Lord is at the center of our lives. And if we felt for a moment that we'd lost him, we would be distraught. And that's why the disciples are so glad. Because they thought they had lost him. And here he is. He's there with them. He's in their presence. He's our Lord. It's like, whoa, this is... Our hearts were broken, but not anymore. So that's the first thing. Again, the second thing that we would say as to why uh, they they were uh, filled with joy was because it looked like all the promises that Jesus had given had died with Jesus. And you and I know that there are times that as we go into the Word of God, we, we find there so many rich promises. And sometimes the Lord gives you faith to lay hold upon a particular verse or a particular portion of Scripture, maybe in relation to something. And that faith is really strong. You're you're aware, you're saying to yourself, you know, I really believe the Lord is speaking to me through this. And it's close into your heart, and you feel strongly about it. But you know, as the time goes on, it looks less and less likely that that promise that you believe the Lord has given to you is going to be fulfilled. But don't be surprised. 
That often happens, that the very providence of God appears to be going often in the opposite direction to the promise. But there'll come a time when the promise will be fulfilled. And you go through the scriptures and you'll find that over and over again. And say, for instance, the likes of Joseph and the likes of Daniel, the likes of David and so many of God's people. They were there with the promises and yet it seemed that the very promises were dying in the providence. But one day it all turned round and it will in your experience as well. So keep that faith shining by focusing upon Jesus. And you know, just like the disciples, Jesus, as it were, comes back into your experience. You might be here tonight and you might feel down. And you might be saying to yourself, you know this, I, I've kind of lost my way. It's not that I have stopped being a Christian, but the, you know, the thrill I used to get. I, I feel that I'm in a kind of a darkness. I can't see Jesus the way I used to see him. Well, you know, you won't be left like that. And it might be, might be in church, or it might be at home, might be in your bed at night, it might be, but usually, but not always, but very often accompanied by the word, there is a returning insight given to you. And all of a sudden again, maybe it's just in reading, in your own private devotion, and you're reading, and all of a sudden, it comes alive. The word comes alive. And you feel that Jesus is there and he's beside you. He's speaking to you. It's real. Or you could be in church and you might have come in and you're drifting and then all of a sudden you're saying, well, this, this is real. This is speaking to me. This is going right into my heart. This is for real. See, the Lord doesn't leave his people lost and wandering about. And so the disciples were glad because here is the return of the promise. But they're also glad because it meant the triumph of the Lord's kingdom. You see, it appeared for a little while that Jesus and his cause was finally, once and for all, broken. And they had held out, or they believed that Jesus was going to establish this great kingdom. He was going to restore the kingdom in their eyes, but they believed that the kingdom was going to come with power. And it seemed that the enemies had won. But no, they hadn't. Jesus rose triumphant over death, over the grave. And you know, we must take courage as well because sometimes when we look out, we feel the cause of Christ is taking a fearful battering. And it's very easy to become despondent and say to ourselves, what's happening here? You look around and there's the forces of darkness, those that are opposed to Christ, they often seem to be on the rise and they seem to be winning. And so often we feel that the Christian faith is being marginalized and pushed further and further into corners. We say to ourselves, what's going to happen? Well, it might go lower yet. We don't know. But you know what? There's going to come a day when it's all going to change. And Christ will triumph because no enemy is ultimately going to triumph over the Lord and his people and his cause and his kingdom. And this shows us that even although it looked as dead as could be, that Jesus has risen triumphant over and he always will. And that's the great news of the gospel. And Jesus is the one who gladdens our hearts. And I pray tonight that Jesus will gladden your heart 
and gladden my heart that we will be able to say just like the or say of us just as it said of the disciples then were they glad when they saw the Lord and we pray that tonight we may see by faith and that if anybody in here tonight has not seen by faith yet let me tell you your heart will be glad the moment you see Jesus ask him ask him to come into your heart even now let's pray O oh Lord our God, we, we pray that tonight as we wait upon you, that you may reveal yourself in your word to us, and uh, that we may see you, see you as a great saviour of sinners, that we may see you as the one who guides us and shines the way for us as we go through life. Lord, watch over us and take us to our home safely. Deal graciously with us because we need you every step of the way. Cleanse us from our every sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude singing from Psalm 107 in the Scottish Psalter, and this is on page 384, Psalm 107 from the Scottish Psalter on page 384. And we're going to sing from verse 27 uh, to 31 and the tune is Loch Broom verse 27 they reel and stagger like one drunk at their wits end they be then they to God in trouble cry who them from straits doth free the storm is changed into a calm at his command and will so that the waves which raged before now quiet are and still then are they glad because at rest and quiet now they be so to the haven he then brings, which they desire to see. Oh, that men to the Lord would give praise for his goodness then, and for the works of wonder done unto the sons of men. These four stanzas, Psalm, Psalm 107, verses 27 to 31, to the tune Loch Broom, they reel and stagger.
Now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. I'll go to the door to my left.